How close can a computer simulation come to real life? It's a question that the pioneers of the metaverse have been asking themselves since its inception. One of the most interesting technologies attempting to do this are called digital twins. These are mirror worlds which not only play with reality, they attempt to recreate it. This week we're speaking with Professor Karen Wilcox, who specializes in digital twins, and Timony West, who is working for Unity, the world's leading platform for real-time content creation. Welcome back to Playing With Reality with me, Menno van Doorn, a new podcast series from Society, the home for technology talent. Of all the things we have talked about in this season of Playing With Reality, digital twins are probably the most tangible, results-oriented technology of the lot. Digital twins are best thought of as virtual representations of real-world systems. Think a working digital version of a car's engine used to assess the real one's safety. Their use cases are broad and varied, from automotive to aerospace, healthcare and entertainment. They could even recreate the human body itself. Given our focus this season is all things to do with the metaverse, this is where I wanted to begin with digital twins. So I got in touch with some friends of ours at Unity, a company whose cross-platform game engine builds real-time 3D projects for various industries across games, animation, automotive, architecture, and more. And I was lucky enough to speak with their vice president of product, digital twins, and AI, Timony West. Timony has been with Unity for over seven years. And over that time, she has worked to lead advanced product development for spatial computing tools. Now, she spends her time focusing on ensuring that the tools that Unity creates are available to all. I started our conversation off, as I always like to, asking Timony about her views on digital twins and the metaverse. So Timony, you're working for Unity. We could call it an extended reality tech company, AR, VR, augmentation, simulation, whatever. But let's call it the metaverse for this moment, or maybe you could just call it the hype. Is it beneficial that so many people are now talking about this metaverse, or is it just words and is it no actions? I think the metaverse is similar to the kind of the first words we use for any new branch of technology that will it'll probably evolve and be called something else as the dust settles and becomes more ubiquitous. It is indicative of a real change in how humans interact with computers. They're becoming more ubiquitous. They're much more powerful. They enable us to have presence not only over Zoom, but real-time editing a la Figma or real-time presence in, in virtual reality. They are they are more world aware. They're they're running machine learning. There's, you know, a lot of meaty things are happening with computers in this era. And I think it's hard to summarize all of that. So I think the metaverse is a word people are sort of using as a placeholder. Yeah, great. But one of the reasons why I wanted to to ask you about this current hype in words 
is that from my perspective, I think we've passed the hype quite some years ago. For instance, our company 10 years ago was already doing a lot of things in the realm of digital twins. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us what a digital twin is and how it differs from, let's say, an avatar or something? Sure. Well, an avatar could be a digital twin depending on the industry and the use case. Mm -hmm. I think digital twin is kind of a loaded term insofar as for specific industries, it has a very clear, precise definition. And then for other industries or kind of general use, it has almost no definition at all. So for industries that I've used it for years, for example, manufacturing and specific companies, they will they when they say digital twin, they have sort of a specific almost file format or, or data structure in place. But I think that's that's less common. I think now when people talk about digital twin use cases, the most common thread you'll see throughout any of them is there is some tying together of the digital and the virtual. And that's really the key difference. You can go into virtual reality, for example, and you can have a grand old time in a fantasy world that has nothing to do with actual reality. But digital twins sort of by nature have either a relationship to some real world object or they reflect something about the real world, a real world condition, or they're simulating the real world. So there's always that, that I think yeah. is what differentiates a digital twin from any other kind of digital property. And, and would you agree to say that we have passed the hype talking about digital twins in industrial context, creating value for many, many years? I hope so, because when the hype cycle is over is usually when the real work begins. You know, in, in any trend, there is sort of, a, you know, a very sharp hockey stick curve up towards popularity and ubiquity. And then it very quickly falls off the other side as people get disillusioned by the attack. But then when it comes back, usually that's when it starts to actually become part of people's lives. And I think that's where we're at. You know, digital twins sort of had a heyday hmm. about five years ago. But what we see at Unity is that every day companies come to us wanting to organize their data, make sense of it, be able to learn from it, be able to make visualizations of it. Mm -hmm. This is the real work beginning of, of actually incorporating digital twins into their workflows. So maybe to the, to the learning aspect, what can we learn from them? This is the part where I, I think it's, it's incredibly exciting. So mm -hmm. when you create an accurate reconstruction of any given real world system, you can then start to run scenarios on top of it. First, you emulate the behavior of, of the environment or the object or, or the machine. And then you can just run a million different scenarios on top of it and learn about what, what basically you can start to predict the, the future, or you can start to figure out where things have gone wrong and what you need to fix. And that is really the, the moment where it goes from just being sort of a nice visual representation of what's happening in the moment to actually something that you can learn from and is a real tool. Uh, for forecasting, for making better products. That's the part where I think digital twins get extremely interesting and very high value. You said, okay, an avatar could also be a digital twin. What do you mean with that? Well, there's a couple of different um, layers that where it could have fidelity. So for example, at the lowest layer, if you just wanted to have uh, autonomous sort of like non-player character types that are just simulating or emulating, say, crowd movement, in a space, that's that that would be one example. It's an avatar, but it's not really an avatar of anything other than a generic yeah. passenger. Right, right. And then you, as you move up the ranks, you can get to something that is mimicking a uh, person or be able to react to or respond to a person. Mm -hmm. You could argue on some level that uh, even things like face recognition and voice recognition, they're not physical visual avatars, but they are actually an avatar of a component of, of your physical being. 
When I started thinking about Digital Twins for this episode, I thought we would be talking solely about simulations, about creating digital versions of systems and processes so that automotive or aerospace engineers can better predict what is going to happen in their machines. But it turns out Digital Twins can be so much more. The fidelity to real life that they have means we can view them as an avatar, as the embodiment of a real person, even, as we'll come to later, a replica that can be used in film, TV and other forms of entertainment. The scope of this technology seems to have no limits. But let's bring it back to their essence, their more scientific use cases. I wanted to speak to someone who has been working with digital twins in a more academic sense. Someone who has those scientific use cases in mind. So I got in touch with Karen Wilcox. So hello, Karen. Hi, Minnow. Hey. Nice to be here with you. Karen is the current director of the Oden Institute for Computational Engineering and Sciences at the University of Texas at Austin. And before this, she spent 17 years as a professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Her research is fascinating. She produces scalable computational methods for design of next-generation engineered systems, so digital twins in another name. She is currently working on projects for institutions as prestigious as the US Air Force Office of Scientific Research, amongst many others. I wanted to ask Karen about some of the early incarnations of digital twins. And given her background in aerospace engineering, I started with one of their earliest champions, NASA. I think the word digital twins is for the first time it was used by, uh, I believe, by NASA. Actually, they coined the word digital twins. Maybe that's a good start for our conversation. Can you tell me maybe what that twin was doing for, for NASA? Well, you're right, Mino. The, the term was coined by some work by NASA and the US Air Force in around 2010, 2010. And that work was really focused on structural health monitoring and the role of digital twins in uh, representing how the structural health of something like an aircraft would change over its lifetime as the aircraft is flown and starts to degrade and is maintained. So again, that was 2010. So it's about 12 years ago. But many people often point much further back in time. They point back to the Apollo program in the 60s and the 70s as NASA keeping what we now call digital twins, but keeping digital simulators on the ground in Houston to track along with physical spacecraft going up into flight. And there's a wonderful blog post uh, by someone from Siemens that talks about the Apollo 13 crisis and the role that a digital twin played played there. So I think we can, you know, look at the the phrase in 2010, but uh, maybe the actual implementation by NASA many decades ago. Yeah, when you talk about Apollo missions, I mean, <laughs> we know it's ultimately important that these things are healthy. I would say, but even before they use these words, digital twins, what made it so important for them? So, you know, if we think, what is a digital twin? It's a representation in the virtual world. So a computational model or a set of models that is representing a physical system and not just representing that physical system in a static way, but really being dynamic and changing so that as the physical system changes, the digital twin is reflecting those changes. 
And how is this possible? Well, I mentioned the models. So there's the computational models, the mathematics and the physics that let us represent these systems. But of course, there's also the data, the sensors that are on the aircraft or the measurements of the human patient or the sensors that are on the spacecraft. And that data are feeding into the digital twin. That's what's letting the digital twin follow. Mm -hmm. So I know you asked, why is that important? It's important because if you have a really good computational model, a virtual model that represents the system now and lets you predict what might happen in the future, then you can make better decisions. You can make decisions for Apollo 13. It was the decisions about how to bring the astronauts back home safely when the spacecraft was damaged. For an aircraft wing, it might be a decision about how to fly or when or whether to do an extra maintenance. And for us as a human, it might be a decision about some kind of a treatment for a disease or for our health. So basically what you're saying is that digital twins can be life-saving. Absolutely. They can be life-saving. They can make our systems safer, more efficient, more cost-effective. Lots of potential benefits. Now, you talk about digital twins in respect to prediction. I think easy to understand why that is important for decision-making, but you also talk about personalized future when you talk about digital twins. Well, what is a personalized future and how do these digital twins play a role in that? So when I think about what is different for a digital twin compared to a computational model that an engineer may have been using for for many decades, that personalized part of it, that's a big part of the difference. So, you know, to give you an example, aerospace engineers, I'm an aerospace engineer, aerospace engineers have been using computational models to help design aircraft for many decades. So how is a digital twin different to that? This personalization says it's not a generic model, but it's a model that really is following the individual aircraft. It's personalized. And the reason it's personalized is because it has this dynamic interaction with the data that we can collect from that individual aircraft to uh, personalize the model and then to let it be dynamically evolving. So that personalization, it really changes the way that we can use our computational models to think about decision making in a way that, you know, like we just talked about, can lead to a lot of benefits. But is it personalized in the sense that this is a personalized plane, a specific plane, that one plane, or is it a whole family of the same kind of planes? That's a great question. And the answer is yes, both. Yes, so, both. Okay. Yeah. So you imagine a future, a future where we would have a digital twin for every aircraft in your fleet. And, and maybe a good future scenario to think about is the day when we have autonomous vehicles helping with cargo delivery. So think about you know, Amazon, for example, and one day maybe we'll have autonomous vehicles helping to deliver Amazon packages in a way that, uh, again, has societal benefits such as, such as reduced environmental impact. So we would imagine a digital twin for every aircraft in that fleet, and there would be potentially thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these vehicles. So digital twin for each one, but at the same time, we'd want to have connections among those vehicles so that if you may know, I don't know, you have a fleet of a thousand of one particular kind of quadrotor mm-hmm. and you start to see problems with a few of them, uh-huh. you can take that data and take that learning and get out in front of any problems you might have with, with other ones. A digital twin then can function as a kind of common asset in basically any realm. 
by being able to simulate a highly personalized and specific system, it's easy to then assess the effectiveness of multiple machines as well. So it's clear the kind of life-saving opportunities this could offer. This technical side of digital twins is fascinating. So I wanted to find out more about how they are actually put together. What sort of team do you need to complete them? I went back to Timony to find out, because her team at Unity is composed of a vast array of talented individuals who come from all backgrounds. So do people want to work for your company? Are you always looking for new talent or so how's the market? Oh, we are. Yes. But let, let me be clear. A lot of the companies, let's use automotive as an example. Automotive car companies have artists on staff. They have designers. They have people who whose job it is to be designing digitally and creating the car models. So the the, the thing is though, the file types that they end up with are not necessarily file types that can that are uh, very performant. So they tend to be very heavy. They're very precise. They're going to be used for manufacturing. So they have to be as precise as possible. So what Unity does is it allows you to transform a model of a car. So the shell of the car, the wheels, each individual screw, mm -hmm. and then use Pixies, which is our data transformation service, to take that whatever file you have it in and turn it into a lower res mesh that you can then, you know, visualize on a phone, visualize on the web, visualize on a lower powered computer, visualize in, in virtual reality. So there's a process there where you've got really like the canonical item, hmm. then you have the ability to transform it, but save all the data associated with it, and then be able to output it out to all the different formats you'd want to use. So Unity doesn't or we can, we actually have a whole studio arm, but we're not the ones who are likely to be making the simulation for you. What we do are making the tools easier for you and any other company to be able to make digital twins and learn from them. It's interesting too, because there there is sort of a blurry line between emulating a digital twin object or something like a car, which is discrete, and then also emulating the entire world around it, which we tend to refer to as more in the realm of simulation, but the two go hand in hand. And then there's another layer on top of that, especially for things like self-driving cars, where you can emulate the sensors used and machine learning underneath that has object recognition or edge detection or street detection. So you've got multiple layers of simulation going on. Yeah, You have the base, the place object, the environment they live in, all the scenarios you can run on top of that, and then emulating the machine learning layer and the, and the sensors above that. Okay, that's clear. I was... Just wondering if everyone is building these simulated environments. This goes back to maybe the origin of the metaverse, the idea of the metaverse, mm -hmm. that in the end we will have an exact copy of everything some, somehow or some way. Do you believe in that futuristic vision? It's, it's sort of like when we talked about a digital twin of yourself earlier. I think, you yeah. know, it will happen, but not in a way that we expect. So I'm, I'm not expecting to open up a canonical file that is exact one-to-one -one replica of everything and every event in the world. But I do think clearly we're moving towards a world where, you know, humans really like to change the world. We like to change the earth as we see fit. And I think a large part of the, the next wave of, of humans interacting with the earth is just recording everything about it. So I mean, really we do, so we can learn from it. And it, it has its downsides, like, you know, creepy marketing, but it has its upsides. If we hadn't been so obsessed about keeping track of information, we probably wouldn't know about global warming today, for example. So there was this situation that recently Bruce Willis supposedly had said that he was going to be licensing 
his own digital twin mm. for future movies. And now we understand he he's denying it. It's uh, maybe fake news. I don't know. But what what would you make of this? First of all, about the idea that an actor actually could license out his own doppelganger. So I, I think it's really fascinating because we have had examples of formerly, uh, actually, you know, deceased actors who have been brought back to life or performers who've been brought back yeah. to life, quote unquote, by the magic of digital animation. It's an extremely interesting that we have a point where, you know, we have these these actors who are well known for how they look, how they sound, how they behave, even across different roles, for example, and Bruce Willis is certainly one of those where he could just, you know, he's incapacitated due to illness. He could simply say, I'm allowing my likeness to be used hmm. for performances and I'm turning this over to, you know, the animators who actually do the work. A lot of the recreated CGI performances, even with actors and, you know, that are, you know, being scanned and their every move is tracked. Animators actually do go back and change a lot of those performances. Um, they don't match it one-to-one -one necessarily with what the actor does. They match it to what the director wants. And so there already is kind of a disconnect between the actor's performance and what ends up in the final product. And that was very surprising to me. I assumed they would stay true to what the actor, the way the actor had acted it out. That's not the case. So no, they just go with whatever plays well on screen. The variety of different spaces in which digital twins are being used is quite overwhelming. From global warming to recreating actors on screen, their function can be to answer the grand questions of the world today, but also things more personalized, like the health of human beings. I asked Karen about her research in personalized healthcare and how this might be utilized by companies who want to get into this space as well. So you were doing at the university a lot of interesting research on all different kinds of digital twins. Can you give a, maybe one or two nice examples of what the things are that you were doing research on? I mentioned earlier, I'm an aerospace engineer, so I'm trained to think about airplanes and, and spacecraft. But in our recent work, we're collaborating with the Center for Computational Oncology here at UT Austin to build digital twins for cancer patients. And this is really a collaboration that came out of that early work I mentioned, where we tried to think very foundationally about what is a digital twin and how do you represent it mathematically so in talking with the oncology experts, the folks who sort of live and breathe and think about cancer, it's just incredible to see the analogies. We talked earlier, when you asked me about what is structural health of an aircraft, I gave you the example, an analogy with a human. And so seeing the analogy, while the physics is very different, the challenges of building a digital twin for a cancer patient and building a digital twin for an aircraft's structural health there are a lot of common challenges. So we've been working with the folks here in trying to take the methods that we've developed and bring them over to, to representing a cancer patient digital twin. And it's, again, it's just been absolutely fascinating. I've yeah. learned so much, but also just to see, here's an example where a digital twin technology, you know, the technology doesn't have to be perfect before it could really have an impact and change outcomes for, for people. Yeah. So this kind of fundamental research done at universities at your university is important 
for organizations, companies to take it further. I think a company can't do these kind of fundamental research in building that kind of model, or can it? It's a great point. Something like a digital twin has many needs when it comes to research. And some of Mm. the needs are at this foundational level, really digging into the mathematics and the algorithms and the, the computations. But there's also needs across the spectrum all the way out to the implementation in real systems and understanding how digital twins might interact with human decision makers. I mean, there's just so many facets. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. Some of this work is best suited to maybe more of the basic research in a university. Some of it is really suited to industrial R&D. And then, of course, the partnerships. And this is a big part of what we do here at the university. Even though we're engaged in basic research, we find that partnerships with companies, and these companies include industrial end users of digital twins, but also uh, software companies who are developing the the software and the the methods, the models that will enable digital twins. Those partnerships are so important. Yeah. They help us to have impact with our work, but also they help us to understand what the real world gaps are and how we can contribute. I love that you use the word that digital twins have needs or the research on digital twins. Like it's your your baby or something. It's a human. <laughs> my, my research my research is my baby and my yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. students and postdocs, they're my family. They're my academic family. I love this idea that something like research into simulating cancer can be used by companies to further their own goals. It's this kind of cross-pollination of ideas that is so vital for people working in the tech space. And it's something that we have seen time and time again across this series. But now, the future. The use cases for digital twins right now are fascinating enough. But what about in 10 or maybe 20 years time? Where is it all going next? I went back to Timothy to find out. She thinks that democratizing this technology so it can be used by all will be vital to its growth. So is there a general idea at Unity of where digital twins could be used in the future, but not yet? So these kind of point on the horizon ideas about this technology. I think we're there. We the, the amount of people that come to us, the amount of digital information that exists today often just needs to be organized. If you name a major company, we've we've done work with them or, or actively partnering, just true automotive and manufacturing and uh, film and obviously games, of course, is, is our bread and butter, but when it comes to digital twins, it's it's I think it's 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 happening. It's happening today. What I think we lack, and that is, this is really what my team is focused on, is making the tools more accessible, making them easier to use, making it so you don't need to hire effectively a gameplay engineer to make a simulation, unlocking that data, making it easy to bring in large, complicated file formats and be able to easily transform them into something you can see and, and reason with. And that's really 100% where our focus truly lies. It's digital asset management. It's being able to edit things easily. It's being able to distribute them. Uh, as easily as possible. So if there is a consumer metaverse, one of the things people talk about for so many years already is my body double will go shopping online 
uh, because mm-hmm. it's an exact copy of me. I will never have to have the trouble of not fitting the suit that I've bought. Mm-hmm. That's the simple use case. And my only question is, why isn't it here yet? <laughs> yeah. What's what's stopping us? Is it you? Can't you handle the technology? Do you need help? <laughs> Actually, no, Unity could do that. It's funny you mentioned that one because that specifically came up in one of my favorite articles that I quote endlessly. Will the information superhighway be the death of online or death of retail? That's from, I think, 1994 Fortune magazine. And uh, in it, they specifically mentioned, you know, you'll shop, they said, on your television, you'll use a remote. And, and they said specifically, because the creator has your biometric information, it can just tailor the suit to fit you perfectly. The clothes will always fit you perfectly. Voila. So the reality is we've had that technology for a really long time. The problem is not getting the data about you to anyone. The problem is there are very few supply chains in the world set up to do custom clothing. That the problem is on the other side. So that's actually where you would need to have the innovation. Yeah. So maybe this leads to to this to my question about the unknowns. So this is when we talk about the future. Let's call it the future of metaverse, digital twin, social media. This is a difficult question. So what what could be something that's in your mind somewhere a question or something that could be important for the future development of use of these technologies? that isn't talked about that much, that could surprise a lot of people. One interesting trend, which may or may not be on people's minds, is that there's obviously a rise in digitizing uh, a lot of a lot of civic infrastructure. And there is actually work being done now to take software that was developed for you know one city and open source it so that other cities can use it as well, which I think is awesome and, and, yeah. and really an interesting way of cross-city pollination to kind of, and not that I think that things necessarily have to be the same in every city or standardized, but just cities really helping each other out to be able to make better decisions and have you know, better infrastructure for their cities. So I, I don't know if many people know about that, but I think it's really cool. This idea of digital twins functioning in real cities and real spaces is something that both of my guests today kept coming back to. It's the fusing of the digital and the real on a vast scale and could provide solutions to problems which urban planners and governments have been grappling with for centuries. But do these digital models have the capability to do so, to change the very places we live in? Well, Karen seems to think so. When we look at the future, and this is the fun part, I think, of our conversation, what what would you hope to have achieved in 20 years looking back that could be a really interesting breakthrough in the work that you were doing that you would be proud of or could be something that is important or that will bring you the Nobel, the Nobel Prize? So I imagine a world where every time an engineer or a team of engineers sits down to design a complex system, at the same time that they design the physical system, they're also designing the digital twin. And what does that mean? That means that we are thinking about a complex system and pick your favorite one, an aircraft, a bridge, a building. We're not thinking about the design as sort of a one-time deal and then we're deploying the system and then it becomes somebody else's problem to maintain and operate. But we're really thinking about the full life cycle of that system and architecting the digital twin in the same way we architect the physical system. Why? So that now uh, we're building up 
the digital and the physical together, and that digital really will follow that system through its through its life cycle. And you know, just to give one concrete example, if we really want to take on environmental impact and think about environmental impact over the life cycle of transportation of urban infrastructure, you're moving towards the idea of a smart mm. city. We're going to need all these physical objects to have those virtual representations so we can understand how they are changing and what that means for our, our decision making. So uh, I don't know, I guess that's an engineer's fantasy. Maybe it doesn't get too many people excited, <laughs> but my fantasy is that that uh, every every engineering system would would come together with its digital twin. Well, I'm happy that that you have this fantasy and and we, and we need more engineers to make these kind of things. So so I, I live in, in Utrecht, in the Netherlands, in a nice, very nice city. I can imagine that in 20 years there will be a digital twin of my my city. So what could it what could that bring? to me or to the people that live in Utrecht? What kind of things can we think of that could be important to have a, a digital twin city, for instance? Oh, that's, that's a great question. So I, I'm imagining now, Meno, your day in, I don't know how many years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, where you wake up in the morning, you get some, some data is collected from your body in whatever way your own digital twin is updated and your digital twin suggests what you might have for breakfast or perhaps what you might not have for breakfast. Um, the digital twin of the city is um, optimally managing the way that you are going to commute to your job by also looking at your health data, looking at the weather, looking at traffic conditions, is really providing dynamic information to you to help you make better decisions and factoring in all these different aspects from health, wellness, uh, environmental impact, uh, things like congestion. And, you know, that, that sounds a little far-fetched, but I think many of the pieces of that puzzle we're not too far away from. And you asked specifically about cities, you know, thinking about how a smart city, how a building could be optimized to recognize when there are and are not people in there to manage the energy footprint of the building. This is already a reality in, in some places around the world. And so really just thinking about how that is done at scale and is integrated, I think is really exciting. So normally we end this show by saying, next time, let's meet in a virtual space. We call it the metaverse. But maybe we should imagine you and me meeting each other, maybe in 20 years, both physically and digitally with a twin on our sides and see how that conversation would go. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Karen. Thank you, Minu. If there's one word that I have taken from my conversations today, it is integration. Highly specialized digital models will allow us to integrate processes and find solutions to technical problems. This could soon be groundbreaking. Karen's idea of a world where you wake up and are given dynamic real-time data of how you should get to work or eat breakfast is a testament to just how revolutionary this technology could be. Moving from simulation to reality. But as these digital twins start to outsmart human beings, the question remains whether we are smart enough to listen to their advice. In certain situations we will, for sure. But do we really want to live in a city that's too smart? And if the answer is no, 
will our own stupidity stand in the way of a more sustainable planet? What started with a discussion on digital twins ended, for me, with these existential questions. It shows that the metaverse is indeed a mirror world. And when we look into that mirror, we see ourselves, our hopes and our fears instead of technology. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. And a big thank you for both our guests, Timony and Karen, for their introduction into Digital Twins. If you enjoyed this episode and want to let us know, please do get in touch on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram. You can find us at Society. And don't forget to subscribe and review Playing With Reality on your favorite podcast app as it really helps others to find our show. Next week, we'll be taking a look at one of the biggest industries when it comes to the metaverse as we explore the cultural impact of gaming across the globe. Do join us again next time on Playing With Reality. Yeah.